This is the Comedy Kiosk podcast by Monday and Munoz. Please welcome Monday and Munoz. Hello, this is the Comedy Kiosk, a podcast in which we discuss ideas, news, and opinions about comedy. I'm David Munoz. And I'm Igor Monday. And today we're going to discuss quantity over quality or quality over quantity. One of those. Or quality versus quantity. Or well, quantity that would make sense, yeah. Against quality. Yes, and the rebellion of quality against to quantity. Or quantity to the revenge of quantity. The sequel. The sequel. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Let's discuss that. Yeah, that one. Now, this was very good quality. I think. <laughs> like, this is the first definition. Just talk shit. <laughs> it creates quantity, yeah. but no quality. Exactly. That that was an example, uh, dear listener, of, of what we are going to be discussing. Yeah. So the question would be, I think, uh, what's if we talk about the, the frequency of performing... So what's more important to just get up on that stage and to do even the same five if you don't have any new material. Mm-hmm. So you just get up there and do it. All stage time counts. All experience is important. Yours five are the same, but the audience is different. The show is different. Might mm-hmm. have different response and stuff like this. Or is quality more important? Having kind of new material, new sets, new, let's say, tested, workshopped, quality jokes that work that that kill Mm -hmm. for example so in terms of just performances do you think you can be a very good comedian by showing up once per month and doing your 10 minutes or do you need to like grind and do the same five a hundred times over and over again so in terms of you know frequency of performing what do you think what is what is more important quantity or quality uh, well, actually, it was really interesting. While you were explaining uh, about, like, performing weekly or doing the, the one, like, you know, doing the same five minutes again and again, doing it, and you were using the words quality and quantity to distinguish them, but I went, well, actually, you could flip it around. Like, okay, so if we're performing, like, two, five shows in a week, okay, and you're doing the same five minutes set over again. Now, some people could say that's just quantity, right? That is quantity where you're just repeating the same thing over and over. But at the same time, someone could say, well, no, you're working on quality as long as you are consciously aware of how you do each set and changing it, i.e. writing on stage, as we call it, like, you know, where you where you play with different timing, you do that. So really, you're working on the quality. So by the end of, just say, a month, that because of all that quantity of practice, you end up with quality at the end of that month or the end of six months or the end of a year. You end up with high quality. Now, the flip side is, of course, someone who performs, like you were saying, maybe once a month, but they have spent that whole month writing it, rewriting it, planning it at home, like rehearsing at home, practicing that bit, and then coming in with that new set that month and performing it. So that would be working on quality but not the quantity of show and on the other hand if you're doing a different set every month by the end of the year you actually are talking more about quantity because you have 12 different sets or the person who's only done that one set over and over and over again has got one set but of high quality you hope yeah i mean this is the real let's say question or Mm. or maybe the the conundrum right would quantity bring to quality so Mm. because i've seen a lot of people do the same five or ten minutes 
a hundred times and it doesn't change and it doesn't change yeah. and if it worked the first time it worked the 50th time the joke that yeah, worked yeah. the first time worked the 50th time the joke that never worked never worked yeah. so just pure like they say uh, repetition is mother of all knowledge if i'm not mistaken but it's definitely not the I mother it's a russian thing actually i'm not sure if we say that in english i think there is an expression i think it comes from latin Right? Really? Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Is that, is that uh, not Latin? Uh, well, no, it'd be puta madre. Oh, you okay. have to change it around. But oh, okay. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah that's uh, my, my Latin is a bit rusty. Yeah, that's fine. That's um, fine. But it, no, no, it's, it, I think it's a Latin proverb. Yeah. Which basically, like, if you repeat it, if you repeat something many times, you will learn how to do it. That's the whole point. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but learning how to tell your jokes is one thing, but will they become funny? Well, uh, yeah, that's is... sort of, yeah, exactly. And I think a big factor, because, yeah, as you're saying, I, you know, you can perform the same joke 50 times, but if you perform it identically every single time, then what's the point? I mean, you're not, you're otherwise, other than making the audience laugh, which is what you're supposed to do. But if you're talking about improving or ending up with that tight 10, if you're not changing that tight 10 at all, not trying different things with that tight 10, then you are not improving the quality. You're just memorizing that, that 10 and how to do it in front of all different audiences. So in that case, you're just talking about the quantity of shows, but the quality is not making any difference. On the other hand, if you are purposefully going up before every show and i think this is where recording your shows um is a big factor of people and then actually watching it not just recording it and then leaving it on your on your sd card to to sit there until the sd card corrupts no actually watching it writing it out word for word cutting bits out listening to when the pauses the breaks and maybe not even just recording yourself but maybe getting two recordings one is of you performing and the other camera capturing the audience reaction because i think i've i know a while back when i recorded myself there were a few shows that i didn't record me i recorded the audience because it was a set that i already recorded for myself to see how i was performing and then the next time i performed the same set I aimed it at the audience so that I could see what their reaction was because not they don't always laugh out loud, but you might see them and you could see like if someone got like a bit of a bored look or someone, especially if they looked at their mobile phones, you're like, all right, that person was distracted. Oh, crap. Three, four people on their mobile phones. I'm losing them. I'm losing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I never lose them. It's it's mostly your oh, right. your job. But yeah, I mean, I, I agree that you can you can assess your mm. performance. And if you do it a hundred times, but after each time you get some feedback, you get some conclusion, you do yeah. some editing, you do some fixing of your set, then that quantity can pay off. Yes. But then it's not pure quantity. It's actually quality that's the definition of quality is, yeah you're working on the quality of yeah it. exactly so yeah. Uh, i think quantity won't always lead to quality mm. the question is can there be quality another question is then can there be quality on its own without that repetition like you know uh, trial and error like repeat and fix repeat and fix process can you just come up with i don't know 10 new minutes each month with, it can be like, I mean, you can workshop it, you can try it, yeah. of course, test it and stuff. But should you aim, the, the question, uh, first question of this episode, I would say is, should you aim just to perform as much as possible? Mm -hmm. Or should you perform only when you have something to say, so to speak? Because, and also we see it here, even in Moscow, where we have not such a big demand of both, like, from both not, not not a big demand and not a big supply of yeah. shows and comics and, and audience and stuff where we have some people who show up week to week 
for like months mm -hmm. with virtually the same five minutes yeah, to yeah. open mics. Basically thinking that, well, I think even more you perform, you'll become a better performer. Yeah. More yeah. time you spend on stage, you will be more comfortable on stage and stuff like this. But if we talk about pure quality of material, of jokes, mm -hmm. if you keep doing the same thing in the same way, it's very unlikely that something will change. Yeah, yeah. So that's why, like, should you aim at just getting up on that stage and doing anything? If you have no jokes, this today you have no jokes, you will improvise, you will crowd work, you will talk about some idea you had in the metro on the way there. Yeah. Like, should you just keep getting up on stage even when you have nothing to say? Or should you work towards, I don't know, 10 new minutes a month? Well, it, I think... It depends on the person, for starters. And when you're saying, like, you know, something you thought about on the metro, well, then that's something new. That's that's quantity of, of new stuff, right? I think, I don't know. For me personally, when I first started, I was probably performing once every two or three months. Uh, there were a couple of factors as to why, but one of them was definitely the idea of it wasn't until I was inspired because I didn't want to, say, do the same joke or the same bit or the same story again. I wanted to do that, get my last, and then come in the next time with something different. Um, and I, you know, that's what I was doing. And I remember in the beginning I did that. Uh, so I'd only perform every few months. Then I lived in Madrid. When I came back, you guys were, had just started EMC. So I joined with you guys and I was then every week also trying to come up with something new because mine was about doing something new every single time. Um, and I remember you mentioning how previous to me, Lee, or while I was gone, one of the, the house comedians, he caught a little bit of flack, or he heard, you heard some some of the patrons who were coming along seeing it saying, yeah, he's good, but it's always the same five minutes, same 10 minutes, the same jokes over and over and over again. And the crowd was getting frustrated. So you were trying to encourage with EMC, like, just try something new. Like, we don't care at this point if it's not 100% polished. Just bring in so people don't get bored of coming and don't say we've heard the same jokes. And we've had the same thing with Steal the Show. Remember when we did uh, the, the gong show? And I was, uh, no, no, was it the gong show? Something that I hosted. But when I talked to one of the girls, she was like, oh, I've been here before. I was here three months ago. And she said that she used to be a regular, but she no longer was. And I said, oh, why? And she said, because I've heard all the jokes already. And she was hoping that with this competition style that we had, that she would get to, oh, no, no. It was the um, the new comics when we were doing yeah, the, the comic mentoring. Competition, yeah. yeah, the mentoring thing. Uh, sort of like the voice, but with comedians. And... Yeah, exactly. She came because she was like, finally, I'll get to hear new material. So I think it also depends on the scene that you're in, whether what's possible, right? I think because of our limited amount of clubs and things, comedians really quickly get, oh, not comedians, the audience really gets quickly bored, right? Secondly, I am the kind of comedian that I can do a bit. And even though I know it's not polished, I start getting bored of it. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to do this joke anymore. Like I've already told the story five times. Like, I'm done with it for now. Like I, I like to do it a while, see what I can get, then drop it. Go back to maybe another set that I've done because that's what I'll do with this set. Later on, maybe six months down the track, I will come back to it. And even if I haven't practiced it, just by doing it on stage, you will automatically go with a different rhythm maybe on the night. So in a way, you accidentally try a new new way and then you can compare the two especially if you do have a recording of the first one and then later on you go okay what did i do different what did i do the same what obviously comes naturally to my voice what's my rhythm but also what did i do differently oh oh yeah i didn't i'd put that over here instead yeah uh that works that's better or nah better the first way yeah no i i get it and uh 
this competition example is a really good idea on let's say force people or push people let's yeah. let's let's be nice and say push people to write new five seven minutes like weekly and yeah. things like this but uh, i would say that well we had this one I'll, I'll give you an example we had a comic here from the u.s some years ago adam a good friend of mine so he started showing up to open mics yeah back in 2000 maybe 15 or something like this when we had only open mics we had only open mics every friday and saturday evening so he would come either friday or saturday mostly i think it was saturday because he worked on fridays mm -hmm. he would come every saturday and do a completely new five right so for the first six months of performing every saturday he came if there was like one week he had no time to write or whatever he just wouldn't show up but most saturdays he was there so yeah. every saturday he comes he does new five yeah mostly it was solid sometimes mm -hmm. he bombed sometimes he killed sometimes two minutes three minutes out of those five would work yeah. depending but he has not repeated a single joke for like first six months of performing yeah yep. then after six months he uh -huh. had strong 20 minutes okay. because yeah. he put together all the jokes that worked yeah. and he put them in such a way that they make sense and they make like a set like yeah. a story yeah. so there was some segue transition there was some like concept to it all etc and after first maybe six or eight months of performing mm -hmm. i went on a tour with him and he was really good like he could yeah. like do proper 15 20 minutes of strong material yeah like be good on stage be like confident in his jokes and everything yeah. so he got enough stage time yeah and he tested enough material to know which one would work and to craft like a set out of it all then he started doing that set as a club set like right he's 15 yeah right so i think that something like this is a good approach mm -hmm. if you have the capacity to write like five minutes weekly yeah. or even like once every two weeks or yeah. something like this yeah yeah absolutely and i had a, a similar thing like with the beginning of the emc when you know every week we were doing something new and my idea was to build up like like i was saying before about like getting bored with the bit and then coming back to it my idea was to end up with maybe three to five bits and then rotate them so the idea is that even if you came every week, you would not hear the next week the exact same joke. You would hear a different set. Now, the difference is that I tend to work more in full set bits, like a five-minute bit. I don't work in smaller little chunks. Like a lot of comedians will do one-liners or they'll do a quick punch. And that's not my style, obviously. I have usually a story or, or, or a theme or something like that where everything I, flows. I've heard, once I've heard a one-liner from you and it was about 14 minutes long. So. <laughs> but that's exactly it. So the point is that for me to do it his way wouldn't exactly work. But it could work to an extent. It just means that obviously from five minute bit, maybe I drop some lines and it become a three minute bit, which is why I, I used to like when, when we had the system where we had a 10 minute bit. And then when we dropped to a five, I was forced to change a 10 minute bit to a five minute bit. And that was actually really good because it helped me cut out all the... Yeah, you tightened the, it. Yeah, yes. tightened it. And then that could be like, okay, that's a five minutes right there. So in a way, that's... We're talking about like trying to get quality from quantity. So you you pull out a lot of quantity of of bits and then you work on the quality to end up with one big piece as you were saying and i think that's that's one definitely good way of doing it uh, of course though it depends on the comedians because i think also in the beginning uh, something that comedians need to work on is literally stage presence 
you know, it's something and, and timing and feeling the crowd. And they're things you cannot practice. Well, you can't really get from your living room, for example. You know, feeling the crowd, you can't do from a living room. You Not until you get up on stage. That is when you learn how to feel the crowd. So I think what could happen is you could end up with someone who, let's say they perform once a month. They craft, write absolutely amazingly brilliant jokes. But if they don't have any stage presence, they don't know how to feel the audience, they may only get 60% of the laughs or the enjoyment out of it. Not for them, but like the audience can only get 60% enjoyment out of it. Or the comedian only gets 60% of the laughs, not the full 100% they could because they don't know how to present it as well. Like they don't Mm -hmm. feel the rhythm. They don't know, oh crap, so the audience, I need to slow down for the audience. Or here I need to speed up. Or here I need a longer pause. Or here I need to, you know, my facial gestures. I need to like give a little look to the audience or something. Or I need to be facing a certain way. Blocking, even simple acting thing of blocking. like Not like making sure they can see your face, your reaction or something like that. So you could have a great, brilliant written set, but then when you perform it, yeah, it's not as good. And you think, oh, I'm not that good a comedian. It's actually, no, actually, your writing is amazing. It's brilliant. You're just not good enough at performing it yet. Yeah, you need I, more practice. I agree 100% that you can get rusty. Yeah. If you don't, if, even if you perform three times a week and then you skip a month, once mm. you go back, you're rusty. Mm. You're going to be like a little bit timid. You're going to be yeah. a little bit like, all do like a little bit like jittery you know yeah, yeah. Be like oh should i say that can i do that uh, what if they you know like you're not yeah. you lose that feeling of being comfortable on stage being confident in that set maybe you forgot some tag maybe you forgot because you haven't done this joke in a month so i, I agree you can get rusty so uh, it's good to get up there and to mm. do your jokes the problem that we face here in moscow as we mentioned and discussed before is that our scene is quite limited yeah. So we can do basically one venue regularly and one and a half more venue here and there, mm-hmm. let's say it like that. And the uh, audience, so not only there is like limited number of stages you can get up on, but there is also very, very limited audience. To that extent that that yeah. same audience would go to these like two and a half venues where you can perform yeah. in English, which means that you can go to a different venue. And this has happened to me several times. Like I do let's say five, seven, ten minute sets or hosting or something like this and then slip in a joke or two at one club. Yeah. And then I go to the other club to do like a 20 minute set. Mm-hmm. And obviously those 20 minutes are my material I've worked on for the last two, three months. Mm-hmm. All of those five minutes, seven minute sets, etc. I come with these 20 minutes and 20% of the room are the same people who've been to some of the shows where I've used yeah. those jokes, right? So at least for some people in the room, it's not it's not a new joke. Sometimes people can, and this is like the Seinfeld philosophy that he does in his, to this day when he does like touring shows, yeah. he puts in like 20, 30% of his very old jokes that everyone knows. Yeah. It's like when you go to a concert of Metallica, you want them to play their greatest hits, right? So yeah. this is what he, uh, and he believes in that. I think, yeah, I, I agree. I don't see why comedians can't do that. Like for classic bits, I think, like if it becomes yeah. classic, then no, it's I like, think, give them what I want. I think you can do it, but I think the audience will never have the reaction as the first time they've heard that joke. Not maybe first time they've heard the joke. First time the joke worked. Okay. Yeah. First time they laughed at that joke. Mm. So you will never repeat that. You you can be like, oh, I know this joke. It's good. But yeah. you will never laugh like honestly, kind of genuinely as the first time because it then because joke is a surprise. 
yeah. right? And it surprised you once. Yes, absolutely. I completely 100% agree. Now, the thing is, could you though, okay, let's say you're watching, okay, some great bit that you know off by heart, right? Of a comedian. Uh, we go to a concert, you and I. I've never seen this comedian before, right? So I'm listening to everything. For me, everything is brand new. For you, you know, he does the Jerry Seinfeld thing and he does this classic joke that you know, that you know, and you're going to chuckle. You're not going to bust a gut laughing, but you're going to chuckle. But I bust my gut laughing. Do you think that then, because you acknowledge the fact that I'm experiencing it, in a way, you get a little bit of a vicarious sort of uh, feel of that too. So maybe you laugh a little bit more because some of the people around you are laughing for the first time. It reminds you of, yeah, I remember laughing like that as well. And I heard, oh God, yeah, that is, yeah, wow, that's shock laugh. It might make your chuckle, it won't make it like the original, but it might bump it up. Make me the Yeah, halfway. I mean, yeah, obviously, in a room full of people, good atmosphere, mm. I don't know, had a few drinks, yeah. whatever, you can laugh at the same. I'm not saying you can only laugh at a joke once. Yeah. You can laugh at the same jokes a hundred times and people have approached me and told me this after the show like oh i i've heard this joke before i laughed more today yeah for example like this but i think it's just once you laugh because it's a surprise yeah later you laugh because either oh i know this one it's a good one i'll laugh again or just because it's changed or because you're a little bit like i don't know tipsy or because you're with friends or whatever the other reason well that's what be. i mean the social thing of a club yeah why so, it's always no. better to, to listen to something like but i mean the other thing is like for example um oh, i can't remember the name of the special but robin williams big special that he did in the 2000s sort of thing when he like after his huge break from stand-up and he came back and i had that on cd and I, I listened to that CD many, many times. I mean, the whole point is I could listen to those jokes over and over and over and over again. Yeah, and the same thing with like uh, Christopher Titus. I've watched his bits over and over again. I've also watched Richie, Ricky Gervais, like he's some of his shows over again. And I think they're great. And he's a perfect example of someone who, he's a writer originally. He's not a stand-up comedian by default in a sense. Like he's done it before, but I mean, he became famous as a writer because he knows how to craft the joke. And even he, he performs in his first series and specials, he just wrote it and performed it. Now he talks about doing, oh, what are they called? Um, like kind of warm-up shows sort of thing, mm-hmm. uh, where like they do pre-shows and he runs it and he does it sometimes. I don't know if he uses a director, if it's just him, I can't remember. But he was talking about how he does these shows before the specials, before his actual tour, because then, and he's finding it really useful because he's like, yeah, I tighten it up a lot more. But that means that previously he wasn't doing that. He was literally writing it, getting it up on stage and just going, here it is. And they're still great specials. They're, they're well done. He's just a naturally, I think he's just a gifted performer and, and writer. So he can do it naturally. I'm not saying he didn't practice at home in his living room stuff, but he didn't do these preliminary, like pre-show shows. Yeah, well, this is, I think he's a, yeah, he's an exception to the, to the rule as in he's a just a natural also writer and performer who can like squeeze out a special without ever doing yeah, open mics prick. in in i don't know in where is he from yeah. uh, something like reading or whatever so yeah richville yeah 90210 sure, sure. london <laughs> that's Beryl hills <laughs> yeah no. uh yeah so basically i i think it's possible but with our like limited limited stage time and limited audience that that we and have budget 
yeah <laughs> we don't have Ricky Gervais's money yeah well I mean so that that's why we can't really have that freedom of testing it a million times mm. or just writing your hour and being like okay I'm ready to do my hour without mm -hmm. anyone ever seeing it mm -hmm. we have to do some kind of compromise in the middle yeah. but since we also mentioned the situation here in Moscow a few times and we have also previously mentioned situation in some other parts of the world of course in some English native English speaking countries where their where co comedy stand-up comedy mm. started was born and and this kind of huge market huge scene right like I don't know LA New York London yep. nowadays Berlin is a huge scene for for English comedy yeah. as well for some reason so uh, <laughs> for some reason we don't know why doesn't make any sense but fuck it it is well it is yeah I mean <laughs> again it it makes some sense it doesn't make huge sense like why would it be exactly Berlin and not Vienna or Amsterdam. Have you or been to Vienna? Mexico City. No, have you been to Vienna? I've been to Vienna. I yeah, perform not I've done shows in Vienna. Good for you. It is not exactly the most exciting. Gorgeous, beautiful, but not exactly what you'd call the uh, pumping heartbeat of bohemian europe or anything like that no no fair enough yeah i mean i it's very I get, cultured very gorgeous I, I get why berlin i'm just saying it's like an example of a non-native english country yeah. english-speaking country where there is you can do two three shows pre pre-pandemic definitely in yeah. english every day i'm so, glad neither of us went oh why can't it be france we just don't even go there we're like yeah we know why anyway. yeah, everyone knows why yeah so yeah and uh considering this mm -hmm. so do you think nowadays in some places especially there is just too many comics and too many shows so if we talk about quantity versus quality that we've lost uh, that kind of special night out i'm going to see stand-up it's in like every bar in every club in every i don't know in every terrace in every hotel in every it's just everywhere because in moscow if we talk about english scene of course we have like two and a half venues but if we talk about mm. russian it is everywhere like really? it's literally everywhere you mm. go to like i mean again now less in the last year year and a half because many kind of small bars cafes and stuff like this sadly closed due to mm -hmm. this like pandemic stuff yeah but before that i remember it was like a wednesday or something at 4 5 p.m i had yeah. a day off or whatever as well i was walking with a friend in the center we sat on a terrace of a small cafe so it's a cafe it's not even a bar or a club or something yeah. and it's a terrace and it may be 5 30 a stand-up open mic in russian started just mm. like randomly like some guy came plugged in the microphone and 20 minutes later there was a stand-up open mic and i was mm. like really is this happening so yeah. it's kind of and i mean if you go to london was obviously, it good uh no but uh. i mean it was like a wednesday at wednesday at five open mic it was mostly yeah. kind of kids like 16 17 year old complete mm newbies complete beginners uh, with their friends to watch them i mean it was it was what it was it was yeah. it had no ambition to be an amazing stand-up show yeah. it was what it was but i'm saying like again obviously if you go to england you'll find a million shows if you go to new york you'll find a million shows but you also find for every show 100 comics that want a spot at that show yeah so, especially proper shows yeah so what do you think about here the ratio between quantity and, and quality uh, when we have an oversaturated market do we have too many stand-up shows and too many stand-up comedians nowadays should there be less but better you're talking about english right i'm talking about english right yeah. now. yeah but not just moscow 
but not just Moscow. Right. Because in Moscow, I think more comedians we need. So that, that's the Moscow situation. But at the same time, I also know that if we do get more comedians, that means less time and less space available. Uh, because I think the problem that we have, we need the more comedians to get more variety, to bring more people in. But, because that's one of the things. Because like I said before, some people complain, oh, it's the same comedians, it's the same jokes. What's the point, right? Uh, I think when it comes to other places in the world, now, maybe in some place like Berlin, I think it's the same thing. Like, in non-English-speaking countries, I don't think it's going to be too much of a problem yet. Uh, it's not going to be oversaturated just yet. The only thing in oversaturation is it's the same comedians. That's the difference. Now, on the other hand, if you go to America or Britain or any place like that, I think you're going to end up with the flip side where you end up with, yes, a lot of comedians where you could, they just pop up everywhere and you're just like, it's the latest fad, you know, it's, it's the bubble, like as they say, like a big massive bubble is bursting and there's so many comedians around. Now, on the other hand, the good side about it is it's a variety of comedians, which is where you end up, and this is what I wanted to say before as well, was the difference from what I've inferred from listening to different podcasts and things like that, the generalized difference between British stand-up comedy and American stand-up comedy in the sense of, for example, in Britain where we have... People go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival every year. They try to come up with new 50 minutes, right? Which means they're writing new material and they're probably doing the whole, they write a whole bunch of material. They grab the best stuff. They put it all together and they've got 50 minutes and then they go to Edinburgh with this. Bang. Mm -hmm. And then next year, it's start from scratch again, a whole new bunch of bits, blah, 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 get up there, bang. Well, in America, they will do something similar, but there's no Edinburgh Fringe Festival as such. They don't care about it. They most of them probably don't even know about it and realize how big it is, but... Because um, it's not in America. <laughs> but they will do their bits and they might come up with a 10 bit and then they just stick with that for maybe three years and just tone it. From the sounds of it, they, they really like to polish it to the point where it's almost perfect. Like as in every word is mapped out, every pause, every beat. From what I understand, it sounds like American stand-up is really about perfectionism. Of, of a set. So you can have your 20 minutes. So probably like this Adam guy done. You do a whole bunch of bits. You get it all together. You get your tight 20. And then you work on that tight 20 to have the solid 20 that eventually you will then present on late night or something like that. And then once it's done, once it's on television or it's on YouTube or something like that, it's now burnt. But it's been perfected to that is like a showcase that is like shows your talent and everything and now work on your next bit and this is why for example for stand-up specials use the first stand-up special is amazing because it's really five to ten years probably ten ten to fifteen actually years of material condensed like the best of the best then it's working on the second is probably what's left over plus some new stuff then it gets to the third one and that's where it's like really like you're coming up with new stuff that's why for example people looked at louis ck and said oh my god he's amazing a new special every year that's amazing in england it's like well that's standard everyone does that even the beginners do that to go to edinburgh but the difference is and this is what uh, a guy when i first started doing stand-up i lived with this british guy bill and bill kind of pointed out because i was like oh i'll never be good enough you know to get to thing and he goes Maybe not for America. And he wasn't even a comedy fan or anything like that. But he was like, well, Americans are very polished. He's like, and he's like, not really my cup of tea. Uh, typical British guy. <laughs> he's like, not really my cup of tea. Uh, it's a little too polished. It seems a bit fake to me. Cause, but in Britain, he goes, you do a lot better because it's raw. We like raw shows. We like fuck-ups. We like, you know, that kind of... Because it feels more authentic, more real. So it's the difference between, like, the British actually like it a bit more raw, unpolished. And they like a bigger turnover. The Americans will prefer you to polish something down to the point where it is perfectly done. 
but it sounds a bit more rehearsed. It's obvious that it's not real. You know what I mean? I think the this is the, for from the comedian's point of view, and I this is just an opinion. Obviously, I've never actively performed in either of these scenes, mm. right? But from what I kind of see and hear and can understand, let's say using some kind of edu- educated guess, mm-hmm. is that this is a difference in a way on how you get to being big, which mm. means kind of making it to TV. Yeah. Right? Which is most comedians dream because that's where the the money is, that's where the exposure is, and that's how you get to your gigs, like regular income. I think that's where the recognition comes in so you can get better gigs. Yeah, exactly. So in, in TV credits. In the UK you would do it by attending fringe and such festivals. Not only mm. fringe but festivals yeah. where there will be some agents there will be some journalists yeah. who will write good reviews will spot you etc you will you will work that circuit make and contacts at some point exactly it's you'll meet the comics but plenty of like young comics live together write together mm. like travel together to gigs and stuff like you become part of that circuit you get exposed you right people see you you get on tv yeah. while in the states you're working on your like club set so not yeah. in your yearly shows and festivals yeah. yeah exactly where you can get seen but in your club set you're 10 15 that you can hope to one day perform on conan on yeah. i don't know kimmel and so on that's your ticket that's yes. your tv ticket and it's a different tv thing because the british one it's a lot about panel shows and it's getting on these panel shows and just becoming a personality so the whole thing is people need to know who you are hence that authenticness and and things like you know the we discussed in the what will be now our previous podcast about you know authenticity and the 40 minute sad story you know it's it's that personality getting that personality where you talk on because it's Panel shows seem to be the big thing in Britain. That's where comedians go if they're going to be on television. While in America, it's it's not panel shows. It's instead being on the late night sets, doing your concerts, and from that, then getting a proper special and doing a tour of America and people paying to fill a theater just to see you. Yeah, and if you get into and getting that- the uh, Apollo, not Apollo, well, the, well, depending on the thing, but yeah, getting on Montreal or getting to uh, maybe eventually a TV show. Yeah, sitcom. that's. I think that the thing that uh, most comedians are trying to do in the states is a sitcom mm-hmm. or something like SNL writing, yeah. writing for comedy or writing your own like sitcom or some or some kind of like Comedy Central show mm. or something like this. While, while in the UK, it's mostly about festivals and it's mostly about local tours inside mm. of the UK and things such as panel shows and and things that you yeah. mentioned. So uh, yeah, there. But obviously, you have the possibility to do this. You have a possibility to do the same show in Edinburgh for three weeks every day because you have a huge rotation of audience mm-hmm. and you have a possibility to do your yeah. 10 same 10 for three years in the States yeah. because you have a huge country where everyone speaks your language exactly. which we don't have a chance to do here in Moscow Hell and no. I'm pretty sure except Berlin places where I've performed where there is an English comedy scene but it's not a native English speaking country so I'll just name a few I don't know places like Prague places like Stockholm places like Vienna places like anything basically it's you will be faced with the same people that will come to the same shows Mm -hmm. that will know comics by name that will be even maybe friends of comics or something like this so I think there is really kind of two two problems here yeah. right two two ends of the of the spectrum so here we struggle to find comics and struggle to find audience yeah. and in the other parts of the world like in new york and london and not only mm-hmm. there is i think there is too much yeah there is too too many of both yeah. and i think for example here in moscow in russia in general there is starting to be i think too well now even now not so much as maybe 
three, four years ago. Now it like settled down a bit. And yeah. especially with the pandemic, it like slowed down a bit. But before that, really, really, you would like, you know, step out, uh, out of your flat on your balcony and you can hear someone doing a stand-up set in the distance. <laughs> like it was everywhere. So I think people started getting a little bit tired of it. Yeah. And they were like, I know some people who were kind of, avo- like I would ask them, do you want to come to my show this Friday? And they're like, man, I just want to have a drink with my friend. Like, I don't want to sit in a bar where there is a show. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, it's just kind of, can I please I just find want a to place? Chill. Yeah, can I find a place with some loud music in the background and yeah. I don't have to listen to, like, open micers trying their new set on a Tuesday. Yeah. So I think to, but which leads me into the, the final point that I, wanted mm-hmm. to, that I wanted to talk about is the content, the pure mm. quantity of content available mm-hmm. nowadays everywhere. On YouTube, yeah. every, so again, every person nowadays has a camera, has internet, has a computer, can upload their set to YouTube. Some people produce their specials by themselves. Some people create some channels with funny, I don't know, podcasts, uh, reviews, whatever sketches they're doing. Plus, there's huge giants like Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO Max, whatever it's called, that are pumping huge budgets into producing numerous... If you go to Netflix and choose stand-up category, how many specials do you think you will find? In in Netflix? Yeah. In English. In English. Probably ever a hundred. I'm, I'm. I. I haven't counted. This was not. This was a rhetorical question right. more than, than, uh. a, than a quiz question. But I've done it once. I was like, okay, I'm kind of. I have two hours. Yeah. I can watch a special. And I felt like watching some stand up. Right. I spent maybe thirty minutes browsing. Yeah. I didn't actually watch anything <laughs> because first of all, it's really hard for me to get into a Netflix special because there is just. You don't know anything about anyone. It's just yeah. someone's picture and the name of their special and nothing. You might I mean like I don't. Second of all, there is just so you have no idea. I mean, like mm. people like Kevin Hart have five. Mm-hmm. Amy Schumer has I don't know, thirty six. Like okay. I don't know. Like just I mean the the most famous people have I don't know three, four, five, six already. Yeah. And then if we talk about some kind of compilation, some kind of I don't know people from other countries doing English different different uh, variations different combinations there is really maybe over a hundred so it's just and then if we talk about every two minute five minute ten minute bit that people can record and upload to youtube Mm -hmm. i think there is a lot of so if you just if you go to the city and you see every bar has stand up then you turn on youtube and you see like a bunch of stuff on facebook and instagram so again is there is stand up too access accessible nowadays do you think and does it cause the drop in quality Oh man, that that I think that could be a whole other podcast. Um, I think okay. In in short, I mean, it depends. I mean, yeah, yeah, to a, to a degree, because because of that ubiquitousness of of being able to rec- of of videos and stuff around, especially a lot of it's self recorded. Like you know, I have my channel, but mine mainly is mainly for me. It's not for anyone to really watch and go, oh, well, let's get this guy. But it has actually worked for me in the sense someone has seen it and then gone, oh, let's put him in a pilot on a TV show. So. It has kind of uh, worked, but that wasn't the initial intention. The intention was for family and friends in Australia to be able to see what I was doing here in Russia. And then, oh, he's doing some stand-up. And they could watch it and laugh and go, oh, my God, that bit was embarrassing, but that bit was funny. And, oh, I remember that. Is that based on that story? No, it was basically meant to be that. So, yeah, I have a YouTube channel with, with that sort of stuff on it. But, yeah, and I'm obviously an amateur, and I think there's a lot of amateur stuff out there. Um, but because of the, yeah, the market and the things like that, is there an oversaturation? I think to a degree, yes. And and like we said before, like with these Edinburgh sets, like every single year, I think some of those, especially 
British comedians could probably do that quite a bit. But I think with the American ones, it's, it's, it's interesting because in Netflix, the majority of it is American stand-up comedians on Netflix, it seems. Um, and they've got a lot of these, yeah, a lot of these shows. And it, I had the same problem as you did when I wanted, decided to watch it. You end up, I ended up just going with like a tried and, tried and tested, you know what I mean? Someone I knew. Yeah, sort of thing yeah. where you just end up going. Oh, I know this person. Why? Because I've seen them on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen them in a TV show. I saw them in a movie, or I, I've heard a lot of people talk about this person. But otherwise, I probably wouldn't have picked them. You know what I mean? Like you see so many names, and you're just like, I've got two hours. I don't want to just. You, I don't want to watch twenty minutes and then go. Actually, I don't like this person. You would also be surprised how many self-release specials mm-hmm. are there. So if we talk about Netflix has over a hundred and Amazon Prime has I don't know over fifty or whatever. If you open YouTube, people recording their thirty, forty, fifty, seventy minutes shows yeah. and releasing it as I don't know person, 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 son comedy special full show. Yeah. And it's just a full show, well-produced, funded by their own money on YouTube for free to watch. So if we talk about 100 on Netflix, I think 1,000, 100,000, I don't know how many yeah. on YouTube, which means there is like endless, endless content. Yeah. And I think if if we talk about some kind of indie stand-up, right? You, yeah. I wrote this, I produced this, I recorded this, and I put it on, net, on YouTube for free. So feel free to watch it if you want or don't if you don't wanna. I think it's fair. It's a platform yeah. and it's 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 a platform that is useful both for comics and for audience. It's just yeah. the other way of doing it rather than going to a live show. But if yeah. we talk about platforms like Netflix, I genuinely believe that since Netflix appeared, quality of stand-up specials went down significantly mm-hmm. just because of the model. So and this is something that I've talked about before because it used to be kind of you record your DVD, right? You record your special, yeah. you put it on a DVD. And then if it's good, it will sell. Yeah. If it's bad, it won't sell. So yeah. only if you make a good special, you will earn money. Mm-hmm. So if it sells. But with Netflix, they pay you and then you record a special, right? right? Yeah. So you get paid before you've done any work, which means you can half-ass it. As long as you have an hour of relatively enjoyable material, yeah. you've already been paid for that. Sometimes some comics get like two or three special deals as a yeah. package. So they just have to pump out three hours in three years yeah. of basically anything. Okay, but you said you get paid beforehand. But is that every... I mean, if I, they're not going to pay me straight off the bat. No one's going to pay you. No. But even YouTube's not going to pay you. No. But, I mean, maybe maybe our listeners, we should we should set up a Patreon and maybe someone's going to, like, tip us for, for this. But overall, right. yeah, I mean, how it mostly, like, if we talk yeah. about Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, these kind of yeah, people. Yeah, but they're established. I mean, they know they're going to sell. Even if they half-assed it, they, yeah, they would ex- be brilliant exactly. and amazing. But, but if you look at their specials before, mm-hmm. and... I mean, Jimmy Carr had like six specials before Netflix. They're all great. And the Netflix one is just mediocre. Mm. So, I mean, this is the thing. And at that point, when he was at his third or fourth, he he could sell DVDs based on Jimmy Carr brand. But it was still a show that, as you described, he toured with it. He toured with it for a year, year and a half, and then uh, edited, tightened that show that set everything, and then recorded it for DVD. But nowadays, it's kind of you get paid, you write it, you perform it, it's on Netflix, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's more like a movie or something rather than, rather than a, a stand-up performance. Yeah. Yeah. So in my opinion, there is not too much content, but there is very big difference in the platforms, meaning that YouTube and such kind of stuff provide an opportunity. While like I think paid pl- platforms kind of 
provide the, the opposite. They're discouraging quality and yeah. encouraging quantity. Right, right. Yeah, but the thing is, well, for a professional standard, yeah, that's not good. Although from a beginner's perspective, I think, I think for the conclusion for me for this, for this uh, episode would be that I think as a beginner, just get as much quantity as you can. As, as you possibly can. Sometimes you won't be able to, but the point is you get as much quantity as you can to build on that quality, right? And mm-hmm. you have to actively work on that quality. Uh, otherwise, it's just quantity for the sake of quantity. So you work on that quantity to for, for whatever aim. It, it may not be the actual joke writing. It could be literally just feeling comfortable on stage. One of the, the advice uh, when someone asks me, you know, oh, I've, I just want to get started comedy. What do you recommend? I would be like, own the stage. Rule number one, own the stage. Learn to own the stage. That should be the first thing because it doesn't matter how good your joke writing is. You're not going to maximize the last out of it if you don't own the stage. Like owning the stage is fundamental. I think uh, it's like one of those crucial elements as such, uh, but it's underrated by a lot of people. People just think focus on the joke writing itself. But anyway, uh, I would say that as a beginner. So try to get as much quantity as you can in there, what opportunities you have and work on the quality in between. Like when you can't do it, like you said, this Adam friend of yours who, if he didn't have something new, then he stayed at home and he wrote new stuff, you know, whatever. Um, then, but once you get to a higher level, then the idea is you should be really focusing more on that quality and the quantity not necessarily is as important because hopefully by then you're already sure on stage of things and you are now making sure that the, what you put out is quality because I think also the focus shifts when you are at the beginning, you're just about learning how to get better, right? But by the time you get to a higher level, and when this happens, I don't know. I think it depends on each person differently. But maybe around the five-year, maybe 10-year mark, I think probably 10 is what they usually talk about. That's where you're really, or before that, you should be already starting to focus on quality because this is now becoming a brand. Like this is what you want to be known for. This is what, what is going to get you onto television, uh, into a TV series, on a panel show, or it's going to get you recognized by agents and things like that. And as they say, you know, the whole point, uh, I've heard this from a really good podcast, um, Let's Talk About Sets, where they say one of the first rules is, just be undeniably funny. It doesn't matter if what you do is considered hackish or trope or whatever, or if it's weird. It's just, but you've got to be undeniably funny. And the way you get that is through quality, you know, showing that you have quality, being undeniably funny, that people cannot ignore you. So the idea is do it as much as possible, so quantity, until you reach a certain level of quality, mm-hmm. then push that quality. Yeah. Don't just do it for the sake of doing it do it when it's only when it's good enough to be shown yeah in a way because after that it's now becoming a reputation and if you start bombing too often then people go hey he's not that good at comic if you're a beginner people forgive that because people are like oh they're trying and they give you that little clap and they go oh at least they tried you know oh she gave it a good effort and you know whatever she had three good jokes in there that's so fine you know i can't wait to see her next week but if for example you were amy schumer and you did that and you only got three good jokes, people will be like, well, she's lost it. Have you seen Amy uh, Schumer? I'm not, I'm not going to go into that. All right. I'm not going to go okay, into that. I'm just using that as an example. Let's, let's stop here. And uh, I don't want to turn this episode into let's this Amy Schumer. That's on <laughs> next week. So thank you so much for listening. And we do hope that you will yeah. find your perfect ratio of quantity versus quantity.
quality. My name is Igor Monday. And I'm David Munoz. And this was the Comedy Kiosk. Ciao!